Good evening, Hope Church family. Uh, it is a joy and a privilege to be with you to share God's word tonight. Um, I was actually hanging out with my daughter earlier today, and um, I told her that I got to tell people about Jesus this weekend. And she said, um, her question was, why, Daddy? Do people not know him? And I got to tell her, you know, some people do know Jesus, um, and they want to know more about him. And some people don't know Jesus, and we get to tell them about him. And she stopped, and she goes, Daddy, that's amazing. And uh, she's very smart. Um, it is. It's amazing. It is amazing that we get to gather together as the, uh, the family of Hope Church, the family of God, and open the scripture and hear about a God who is crazy about us, who loves us so much. And um, this passage tonight, I'm really excited. I am humbled. Uh, I do not feel qualified to preach on it, but we get to look at God's word together um, as imperfect people and look at the perfect word of God and see how it can uh, illuminate what is in our heart and change us for the better. So um, I'm going to read our passage for the evening. We are in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 17. Uh, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to say a prayer, and then we will dive right in. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and for this church and for your kingdom and for the gift of repentance. God, I pray that you would bring your scripture to life for everyone hearing this message. Um, God, that your words would change us. God, that they would be the light that is talked about in this scripture. God, that your kingdom would come and invade this world. Pray for uh, just the truth of your gospel to invade hearts to evade our minds. God, that we would leave here changed, that your scripture would change us, that your Holy Spirit would change us, and that we would become better and more equipped ministers of reconciliation for your kingdom. So we love you. We give this time to you. We commit it to you and pray just a blessing over everyone who's listening to it. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, like I said earlier, I, I'm super excited about this passage. Um, I believe it is, it is a hinge passage in the book of Matthew. Um, it's, I said this the last time I preached on, on Matthew. It's one of those ones that you could just gloss over. Last week we had this incredible uh, message from Will on the temptation of Jesus and this crazy narrative of Jesus being tempted by the devil himself. And then next week we get into the narrative of Jesus actually calling the disciples and what the life with Jesus and disciples looked like for, for a big chunk of Matthew. And then we have these five verses right in the middle of this. It's not necessarily a narrative. It just kind of talked about locations Jesus lived and then one line of what Jesus was preaching. And it's all God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So all of these, these passages, hopefully you've realized that. If you've been with us in the Read Scripture app, um, I am very behind, like very behind, but I'm doing it. Uh, so hopefully you can join me in catching up or just doing it a little bit a day. 
Uh, but we're reading the entire Bible and we're not picking and choosing like the really fun stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or the Easter story or the Christmas story or the Psalms that everyone knows, Psalm 23 or something like that. We're reading the entire Bible because every verse is, is powerful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it's the very words of God. And that's the same for this passage. Um, a little bit of where we are in the story, just to catch you up. We are at Matthew chapter 4. You knew that because you understand math. So there's three chapters prior to this. And um, I'm just going to read the titles of the passages. These titles are not part of um, the Word of God, but they're helpful to look at the story of what has happened so far. So we've got the genealogy of Jesus. Um, the next one in my Bible says Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. Um, that is the, the virgin birth. The next one is the Magi visit. Really great sermon on the podcast on that. Just kidding, that was mine. Um, the escape to Egypt, then they return to Nazareth. John the Baptist prepares the way. Then there's the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, and now we are here and Jesus begins to preach. And um, it's, kind of, it's, it's almost like this is the, the preamble, the prologue to Jesus' public ministry. We're building up, we're setting the stage for Jesus to begin to preach the good news or the gospel. Um, and just for, for some clarity's sake, last week's passage on the temptation of Jesus, there is a big chunk of time here that passes between the temptation of Jesus and Matthew 4 and continuing. Um, sometimes I feel like when we read Scripture, we're, we're just reading it like it's a, a movie script. And so it doesn't. it's not that Jesus... Um, conquers the devil and his temptation, and then the angels come and take care of him, and then instantly he stands up and, and has heard that John has been put in prison. There is a gap there, and then we, we kind of um, pick up in Matthew 4. Matthew's gospel is not necessarily chronological or meant to be um, a, a history book. It's just the kind of the snapshots that he wanted to convey about the kingdom of God. And um, again, this is... Uh, so the time passes, and commentaries vary on that. It doesn't necessarily matter the how long it was, but that's, that's kind of where we're at in Matthew chapter 4. And if you'll remember, it's the same, that, that verse 17 is the same verse as chapter 3, verse 2, that John the Baptist is saying. So John the Baptist starts by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then we get um, him preparing the way and for baptizing Jesus. And then Jesus kind of takes the baton because John has been put in prison. And it goes from prepare the way uh, of the Lord to I'm the Messiah, and here it is. I'm taking that exact message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I think it's very interesting that, that Jesus does not change anything. He doesn't say, hey, John said this. Let me tell you what the actual gospel is. He just takes what John was saying. That is true. What John said was true. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus says the exact same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then for the next uh, what four, 24 chapters of Matthew, I don't know if that's right. Not good at math. Um, for the next 24 chapters of Matthew, he lives it out. He shows the kingdom of God is near because I am the kingdom of God. I am the king of the kingdom. A kingdom has to have a king, and Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And so that, that's our background. That's kind of our intro here to where we're at in Matthew chapter 4. Let's get into um, the scripture. I'm going I'm to read it one more time. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Okay, so we start off with, um, there's a fulfillment of prophecy and Jesus kind of moving location. Um, the fulfillment of prophecy, that could be an entire sermon on the, the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. All that we're going to talk about tonight is just the Old Testament has hundreds and hundreds of passages in the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, that Jesus comes and fulfills. And, and the statistics of anyone doing that are staggering. Um, and it's incredible that, all, that God revealed to all these people, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years before Jesus, that exact places and times and things that Jesus would do. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. There was not one that, that he forgot about uh, because he's God, and he fulfilled all of them. And so it's huge that there's fulfillment of prophecy that, that Matthew will, will, throughout the book, point back and say, hey, remember when, I, when Isaiah said this? Jesus fulfilled that. Um, and so then we get this in the, in the beginning part in verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And it's interesting that he starts his public ministry in Galilee because um, you would think a Jewish Messiah would come to Jerusalem, where a lot of the Jewish people live, the kind of the hub of Judaism. And Galilee is far from Jerusalem, uh, politically, spiritually, geographically, basically in every sense of the word. Um, it's mostly Gentile, which you can see in verse 15 um, in the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, Galilee of the Gentiles. And it doesn't make sense that Jesus would start his ministry here unless we had the hindsight of the entire gospel, and we know that Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come to seek and save the lost. The biggest problem that the religious people of that time, that the Jewish people of that time had, was that he would hang out with sinners and outcasts and tax collectors and lepers. And so that's where he starts. So it does make sense. It doesn't make sense to the trained Jewish eye, but it makes sense to us in light of the entire gospel. And that's good news for us because we are all the outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors. We are all not the healthy. We are the sick who need a doctor. And the king of the kingdom came to be with us. And um, I, I want to hone in and spend the majority of our time in that last sentence, that last verse of this passage. Verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And I said that it, it kind of breaks up the book of Matthew We've got the, the intro part, which we've covered in all of our sermon series. We've got this hinge passage of from that time on, right? So from that time on, this is what Jesus is preaching. And his public ministry will take place. And all of the stories that we know about um, will, will start to come up and pop up, even the Sermon on the Mount. And then that goes all the way to chapter 16, verse 21, which we'll probably cover in 2024, maybe. Um, I'm not sure how long it'll take to get there, but we will get there. Uh, it says this, from that time on, Matthew uses the same language, I think, to kind of to, to frame this passage and to frame this entire book of Matthew. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so Matthew shows us in Matthew chapter 4, here's what he's preaching, the good news. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near or is at hand. And that goes to chapter 16, where Jesus is 
message shifts just slightly. It goes from repent for the kingdom of God is near to here's what I must do. I must go to the cross. I must die for your sins and I must be raised from the dead. And um, so that's the thirds of Matthew. Again, we'll get to that later in Matthew chapter 16. I just think it's interesting how, how Matthew kind of points this to, to the cadence of Jesus's public ministry in his life. And so it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And that word preach is um, in the Greek is kerygma. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but that's what it looks like. Um, and just an aside, there are some incredible, incredible resources available for us on your phone, uh, on your computer, uh, here at, at our church. And if this, some, if this excites you to go deeper into God's word and to, and to understand a little bit, I don't know Greek at all, but I like looking it up and seeing the fullness of the definition of these words, please reach out to Rob, Will, myself, anyone here at the church. We would love to help you with that. Um, but it, it is, it's crazy the amount of resources. Even the, the Read Scripture app, some of their videos get into the Greek and the Hebrew of the, of the words, and it's really helpful. And so that word preach, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Again, it's kerygma. Um, someone can correct me later. Um, it, it means, here's the definition. It says, to speak out with authority, to announce as a herald, to proclaim and to assert with emphasis or to make a royal declaration. I just love that. It brings it to so much more life than just saying the word preach because we bring our own connotations to what that word means. You're preaching to the choir or stop preaching at me, stuff like that. Like we think of it as like a sales pitch almost, but that it's to speak out with authority, to announce as herald, to proclaim, to assert with emphasis and to make a royal declaration. And uh, one of my favorite commentaries that I use to, uh, to study this passage is by a guy named um, Dale Bruner. And he said, simply put, that word preach means to tell people the great facts of the gospel. To tell people the great facts of the gospel. And I love that. I love that because in our world, increasingly, people do not believe in truth. You live your truth. I live my truth. Truth is relative. That's fake news. We have no idea how to verify something. Prove that to me, right? As if you read an article online, you think, I, don't, I have no idea if this is true or not. Somebody just posted it. All of that gets pushed away. There's no doubting what we're doing. We get to tell people the great facts of the gospel, the actual truth. It is truth. It is a reality. That's, that's that word preached. Then it gets into what he's actually preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repentance, very, uh, it's a strange word that, that only Christians use, um, or maybe not only, but mostly Christians use. And uh, again, that word, it means very, very uh, literally, it means to turn around, to convert or get converted. And I love this point. Again, this is from Brunner. It says, it doesn't, it doesn't say what to turn from. Rather, the sentence structure tells you what to turn to. The kingdom. So God is not saying, repent from all the horrible things that you're doing. Repent from all the sin that is in your life. He's just saying, repent to the kingdom. Repent for, because the kingdom is coming. It has come near. It has come and it is coming. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What I love about this is there's always a call to a better life. We're not repenting for the sake of repenting. There's always a call for a better life from Jesus. It's not just, I love you. 
It's not just, hey, you're doing okay, I forgive you. It's a call to a better life. And it's not just a better life, it's the life that you and I were created for. We'll get to more of that with the kingdom. A great example of this is in John chapter 8. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is the woman who's caught in adultery. And she's caught in adultery and she gets dragged out in front of all these people. It's, we don't have time to read the entire passage, but um, Jesus essentially stoops down. Um, he drops a truth bomb on the crowd and he's drawing some stuff in the sand. And at the end of it, he says this. Does anyone condemn you to the woman who's caught in adultery? And she said, no one, sir. And then Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Right? There's, there's the love, grace, mercy from Jesus. And then he says this. Now go now and leave your life of sin. Because you've experienced this grace and love, go now and leave your life of sin. Because you were created to live that life without sin. It's the same thing that I've experienced with, with parenting. And if there's parents out there, you can understand. Anytime I tell Carson to not do that, to not do something, she, her first question is, why? Why do I not do that? There has to be an invitation for us to actually change a better reason. We can't just say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That gets exhausting. And all it is is behavior modification. It's not, this repentance is not behavior modification. Let me say that again. Repentance is not behavior modification. How many of us have set a goal and failed three weeks in? Anyone? Just me? Okay, cool. Um, this repentance is not dependent on us because if it was, we would fall short every time. It is full dependence on God and his Holy Spirit. Behavior modification leads to a me-centered false gospel that is idolatry. And it ends with us saying, look how good I am. I stopped these bad things in my life. Look how good I am. Actual repentance through the Spirit leads to gratitude and real life change through the Holy Spirit that leads to worship and us saying, look how good God is. Look how good God is that he loved me so much that his Spirit enabled me to turn from the things of this world towards the things of this kingdom. Actual repentance leads to gratitude, real life change through the Spirit that leads to worship with us leaving saying, look how good God is. And so that's repentance. And then we move to the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is at hand or is near. Again, back to this commentary that, that's blowing my mind. The kingdom is both a place and a power. It is a future and a present kingdom. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here. But then in Matthew 6, he'll say, let's pray your kingdom come, your will be done. So how can it be here and also coming? It, people have, uh, have called it the already not yet kingdom. That we get to experience glimpses of the incredible kingdom of God here as we repent and as the Holy Spirit changes our life and changes other people's lives and allows us to serve and be ministers of reconciliation, we get to experience in part the kingdom of God, the very life that we were created for, the Garden of Eden. And then one day, on the last day, we will fully experience the kingdom of God. And like I said earlier, a kingdom has a king. You can't have a kingdom without a king and the king is Jesus. Revelation chapter 21 describes this kingdom like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is the kingdom that we were created to be in. That's, that's what you and I, that's what our hearts long for. The Old Testament talks about that, that eternity was put in the heart of every man. That whether you, you will admit it or not, that is what you long to be. That you long to be a citizen of this kingdom. That we will experience. But right now, we get to experience in part that through the gift of the Holy Spirit and through the gift of repentance. Taking a look inside our own heart and exposing our sin and confessing our sin, as it said in 1 John 1, 9, does not sound fun. It's not that fun to take a look and see where we fall short. But like I just said, it is a gift of repentance because we get to experience more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit, and more of his kingdom on earth. Um, So as we wrap up this evening, uh, I just want to ask you a couple questions, and then we're going to take some time to actually do the work of repentance. Um, So the first question is this, what does your practice of repentance look like? That's a very convicting uh, passage, or I mean question for me. Uh, Not great, but I want it to be. As I read this passage, if this is what Jesus is preaching from chapter 4 to chapter 16, there's something there. That is what what it looks like to be be a follower of Jesus. Uh, And the next question is this, how are you experiencing the kingdom? What is your awareness of the kingdom of God? The parts of it that are here, that we, that we need to be experiencing the kingdom in part, what we will experience in full. Um, a, a pastor that I listened to a long time ago said um, that how he has stayed close to Jesus is a constant conscious awareness of the kingdom of God, that it has come and it is coming. Um, and if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if, you, if none of this makes sense, that's step one. The Holy Spirit has to be there. And making Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, is, is that's what we say here at Hope. Um, that's it. And that actually, that sentence is repentance. Forgiver of your sins, that Jesus forgives us from, from his work on the cross. He forgives our sins and then leads us to a better life. That we are physically turning from that. He's not just forgiving us and leaving us in our sin. That he is leading us down the path of a better life. That's called sanctification. And again, the gospel is not about comfort and privilege. It is about humility and sacrifice. The humility to admit our, uh, our shortcomings and the sacrifice to say, God, please take me out of the equation that you would change my heart and that you would lead me towards experiencing more of your kingdom. And so that's, that's what repentance is. And we're just going to take just a quick um, little time of silence. And then I'm going to close some prayer. And I would really just, um, as Rob talks about every time that we do communion, 1 Corinthians 11 asks us to examine our hearts. That you would look, that you would do some time of introspection silently and just ask God to expose the sin in your life that you need to repent from. So that, again, not just so that we can change and, uh, and do better, but that we would actually experience more of his kingdom. So let's take just a couple minutes of silence and then I'll close in prayer.
Jesus, I pray even right now, um, as people are watching this or listening to this, God, that you would illuminate the sin in our hearts. God, and again, that we would be fall so in love with you that we would turn from that sin and that we would experience your kingdom, experience the kingdom that we were created to live in. God, I pray um, for all of my friends listening that this would not come out to be a checklist or a to-do item, but that we really would be disciplined in our repentance so that we would fall deeper in love with you and experience more of the life that we were created to, that you have put inside of our hearts. Um, Jesus, so I just pray, God, and, and thank you for the gift of repentance, for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of your blood on the cross that makes all of this possible. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive in all of our hearts. And um, Jesus, I just pray that we would live the life that you have called us to, that we would live a life of sanctification, that we would live a life that we fall more in love with you and that we grow deeper in our knowledge of you, our love for you, and our love of the kingdom. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.